You're listening to a sermon from Church of Christ at Treaty. For more resources, check out cctreaty.org. Um, I want to get out of the way that as disciples of Jesus, being characterized by love, we're looking at John 13, a new command, he says in verse 34. A new command I give to you, love one another. He goes on to say, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're not talking about our love for skateboards and pizza and Wendy's. We're talking about love as Jesus said, as I have loved you. Our love for each other in this room, brothers and sisters in Jesus, our love for God, our love for everyone in the entire world, even our enemies, amen, is the biggest sign that we belong to Jesus, It's not our church attendance. It's not a church shirt that we wear that says, I love God, or John 3.16. The biggest way that the world will know that we are disciples of Jesus is by the way that we love one another. If you boil down the message of the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation, I believe it's entirely about our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Think back to the Ten Commandments that we find in the Old Testament. What are they all about? Relationships. Every single one of them. If you look at the first four of them, it deals with our relationship to God. It says, don't have other gods before me. Don't misuse the name of God. Don't have graven images. Keep the Sabbath. It's all about our relationship with God. And then the last six are about our relationship with other people. It says that we should honor our father and mother. We shouldn't lie to other people. We shouldn't steal from other people. We shouldn't kill other people. We shouldn't covet what they have. You might recall when Jesus was asked, what's the most important thing? What's the greatest commandment? Give me one thing. If I'm going to hang my life on one thing, Jesus, what is it? He doesn't give them one commandment. He gives them two. He says in Matthew 22, verse 37 through 40, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's your relationship to God. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It doesn't matter what else you love. If you do not love God and you do not love others, the world will never know what you believe. According to Jesus, the thing that he cares the most about is that we have healthy, loving relationships with him and healthy, loving relationships with each other. His method for discipleship and disciple-making, if you look at the life of Jesus, it involved him coming into the world and building relationships with people. He didn't just come, listen, Jesus did not just come to die for our sins. He came to model a relationship, how we should interact with people, to show what it means to live a godly life and to be fully alive in our relationship with him and with others. And if we want to be disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples, then we have to start by living the way Jesus lived and loving the way that he loved, by entering into and investing in relationships with other people and having the heart of Jesus. He formed relationships with other people to show them how much God loved them. I love this quote by Robert Coleman. He says this, listen carefully. He says, nothing disarms a person like love. Do you believe that? 
Nothing disarms a person like love. Everyone likes to be loved and for someone to express love to them in tangible ways. When you know that you're loved, you will listen and you'll open up. It was Christ loving his people, his service to them, his ministry to them, healing the sick, opening the eyes of the blind, delivering those that were possessed by demons, teaching them about the kingdom of God. That drew people to him. And the same is true for us in our ministries. You will have an audience, listen, you will have an audience with everyone who knows that you love them. Do you want to have a big audience? Do you want to have a big influence? Robert Coleman says you will have an audience with everyone who knows that you love them. Jesus invested time with people. He ate with them. He talked with them. He listened with them. He entered into their world and invited them into his world. When you notice his tenderness, when he interacts with Mary, with Martha, with Lazarus, then you'll begin to understand that having that level of depth and intimacy with people requires work. Amen? Having deep relationships with people involves a lot of work. It, re- it involves a lot of intentionality. Jesus lived in a way where he sought to meet the needs of other people around him, to live in a selfless way. Not just in his death do we see this on the cross, but in his everyday life, in the way that he obeyed God and did the will of the Father. He loved lost sinners, and he put aside his own needs for the needs of other people. One of the most important times when he did this in Scripture was when he tried to teach his disciples about the importance of serving through loving relationships. This took place in the upper room when he washed their feet. John chapter 13, verse 12 we read, When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. That is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and your teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Are you washing other people's feet? Jesus makes it clear that loving service is an example that he showed that we should follow. And he concludes that being characterized by love is the greatest evidence of our discipleship. People will recognize, he says, that we follow Jesus because of the way that we love people. 1 John 3, 16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. As disciples of Jesus, it's crucial and important that we know how much Jesus loved us. Do you know how much Jesus loved you? If you don't, then fix your eyes on the cross where he died for you. Do you know how much he loves you? Once you grasp that, once you begin to understand the love that Jesus had for you, then we turn around and we practice that kind of love with other people. His love transforms us into people who then are willing to serve other people in love. It's not just one important thing that we love people. I would argue it's the most important thing. That we we can't just yell at people and tell them the truth without a relationship in love with them. Have you ever tried to share Jesus with someone that you literally met like right away? Doesn't usually go super well, right? Like, hey, I noticed that you're wearing a satanic t-shirt. Let me tell you why you're wrong, right? Like, why that's an evil t-shirt, right? But if you know the person, 
if you, if you have a relationship with them, I believe a loving relationship is the important part with God and with others for them to know that we belong to him. Love is the right answer to many of the questions that you have. I, I, don't, know how to, I don't know how to do that. Well, do it in love. Build a relationship. Love God and love your neighbor. I recently saw this thing on Facebook, and I thought it was great. Um, it's a meme for you older people. It's basically like a picture with some, like, words over it. They call them memes. I still don't understand all this stuff. But uh, it said, if you're confused about how Christians should respond to some social issues, here's a reference list. I thought this was interesting. The picture then listed uh, people that we're supposed to love. And I like the title. It said, are you confused about how we should respond as Christians to social issues? Here's what it says. It says, if someone is a male, a female, or they're unsure, then you should love them. If someone is gay, straight, or they're unsure, then you should love them. If someone is an addict, if they're sober, if they're not sure, you should love them. If they're a believer, a non-believer, if they're unsure what they believe, you should love them. I want to add a few other ones. If you're a legal immigrant or an illegal immigrant or you're unsure what they are, you should love them. If they're a Republican, a Democrat, a liberal, a conservative, or if they're not sure what they are, you should love them. If they're light-skinned, brown-skinned, black-skinned, or any other skin, you should love them. Can anyone here tell me someone in any category that is too far away from God that God doesn't want us to love? Is there anyone that we shouldn't love? Most of us are familiar with Paul's love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13 where he goes on to describe the ways that we love people. And he describes love as being patient and kind and humble, as being a way that we forgive people where we're selfless. But listen, before he gets to those qualities, if you remember this chapter, before he even gets there, he introduces the subject of love by saying it has to be the motivation. It has to be the motivation. He says this in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. My favorite thing about the Fort Wayne Zoo is that gong. You all know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't know. It's probably explaining a lot to you guys here. But every time I see it, I just feel the need to hit my head against it. Like, I know there's a mallet right there, but I just feel the need to be like, gong. But that's what I think of when I read this, right? If I speak, if I am the best communicator in the world, but I am not filled with the love of God, it's like that noise. And everyone walks out of here like, what just happened, right? If I have, verse 2, the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but he says, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I have, all I possess to the poor, and I give my body to hardship that I can boast, but I don't have love, I gain nothing. Without love, none of these things has any value or any reward. So we notice throughout Scripture over and over that love is the most important characteristic of a disciple. Look at Ephesians 5, when Paul writes to the church, he says in verse 1, Follow God's example, therefore as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of what? Love. 
Just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. To the church in Galatia, in chapter 5, Paul writes, verse 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through what? So how do we do this? I want to ask you um, some questions here in a minute, but I want to look at some passages of Scripture. Christianity and discipleship are to be lived out in community. Communities of love characterized by loving relationships. I've said this before, and it's my favorite thing to hear, is when people, young and old, visit this place or come back and start attending here, and you ask them, and they just say, I just, it felt so welcoming. I just felt like I belonged, like everybody was so loving. We want to be a characterized community that's about loving relationships and recovering what the New Testament taught all along, that the church was about relational connectedness, not just about a building or an institution. It was more about what happened on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday than just what happened inside of these walls. Church, as a word, is a translation from the word ecclesia, which means those who are called out. And if you belong to Jesus, you've been called out of darkness into light from an assembly or a gathering or a congregation of God's people. So everywhere we go in the New Testament, the church never referred to a building. It was uh, hundreds of years later that the building became associated with the church. But when we say a faith family or a spiritual community or an extension of God's church, that's what we are. Everywhere we go, we are the called out ones, the ecclesia, the ones who have been brought from darkness to light. Praise God because of his son, Jesus. If we're not characterized by love, no one will ever know what we're about. In Acts chapter 2, we see the church in its infancy. It says that they devoted themselves, in verse 42, to the apostles' teaching. They listened to teachers and to fellowship. They got together and fellowship with each other. To the breaking of bread and to prayer, they prayed together. They broke bread together. Everyone, it says, was filled with awe at the many wonders and the many signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, and they gave it to anybody that had a need. Every day, they continued to meet together. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all of the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I'm, I'm just going to... Be simple enough to believe that God still works the way he's always worked, and I believe that if the church functioned seven days a week, we would see on a daily basis people being added to the kingdom. That if on a daily basis we were interacting with people and loving relationships, we wouldn't have enough buildings for God's people. Because we see in Scripture that when they did these things, when they ate together, when they prayed together, the Lord was adding constantly new people to his church. Devoted to teaching and fellowship. That's the example and the description of the kind of loving relationships that we need to have in the churches here in our city. This isn't just a typical once a week uh, church service where there's no contact, there's no connection for the rest of the week. Rather, we see the church getting together regularly beyond worship, helping each other grow, putting their faith in action, taking care of each other's needs. Certainly, it looks different today than it did back then. may look more like texting people, following up with people, showing up at their uh, school events at the hospital for your friends, but it's not, a, it's, it's not different. It may look different, but it's not different. 
We're still in connection and fellowship and teaching each other and praying together and breaking bread and sharing meals together and having things in common and meeting needs for each other. Here's the main point for today. The only way for disciples of Jesus to be effective in helping other disciples and in helping non-Christians to become disciples is through loving relationships. Without love, it won't work. You can give someone a Bible. uh, You can argue with them about their theology, belief. um, You can tell them uh, that they're wrong. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You can post something on Facebook. um, But if you don't have a loving relationship with them, it will not be effective. You may have a 1,000 friends on Facebook or Instagram feeling connected 24-7, but the truth of the matter is we live in a world that is full of shallow relationships. We would rather watch relationships unfold on TV and pretend to engage in those relationships than to actually form valuable connections with real people in our world. Today, Americans have fewer friends than they did a decade ago. That's not my opinion. That's the truth. In place of actual friends and confidants, we have artificial friendships on social media. We value how many likes and follows we get, people that we don't even know that don't even matter. We have artificial friendships. We live vicariously uh, through television, through the internet, but God wants more than this for us. And we need to be intentional if we're going to do this. That we need to break through a culture of isolation and create relationships that Jesus demonstrated with real people where they know that they belong and they matter. Amen? That every person that we come in contact with is a child that Jesus died for. It's someone that Jesus wants in his family to know him and to know that God loves him. And so I want to ask ourselves four questions if you're a note taker. Write these down and then answer them in your heart today. Because this isn't just like, wow, wouldn't it be great if we were more loving? We won't be effective if we don't love. And the world won't know that we belong to Jesus if we don't love. Question number one, who in your life actually knows how you are doing right now? Um, I'm so tired of people being like, oh, I'm okay, right? Like, how are you? Good. And you know it's not true, right? Like, you guys know people like that. Like, you know that they're really struggling. Um, but but we, can, we can pick on other people, right? But I'm asking you, who in your world, in your life, actually knows how you're doing right now? Like, who is the person that can say, I know what you're going through. I am praying for you. I know how hard this is. I know how great things are going. Who in your world knows how you are actually doing right now. Let's stop pretending, please. I'm just going to be honest. The last year was one of the hardest years of my life, and I was not okay the whole time. I was not doing great the whole time. It was really, really hard in a lot of ways, and I'm not discrediting how hard it was for you. I'm sure it was a nightmare in a lot of ways, but who knows how you're actually doing? Who knows? Because someone needs to know, God knows, and yeah, I mean, well, God knows what I'm going through. God created us to be in relationships with each other. Somebody needs to know how you're doing. Question number one, who knows how you're doing right now? Question number two, who, it's kind of the opposite of that, who are you ministering to right now? Listen, every single one of you is a minister. I'm an evangelistic minister. I may apparently have a bigger voice or whatever, but 
who are you ministering to right now? If you love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength, who are you intentionally ministering to right now? You know how they're doing. You know what they need. You know what their struggles are, and you're ministering to them. Who knows how you're doing, and who are you ministering to right now? Number three, when was the last time that you read the Bible and prayed with someone? Oh, right? When was the last time that you read the Bible and prayed with someone else? I think we've done a disservice when we always push a personal relationship with Jesus because I think that is important for sure. We have our own relationship with the living God, but God never said, then disconnect from church and other people. And so we have to be in the word growing with other people. When was the last time you opened up a Bible, got a Bible on your phone, and prayed and read it with someone else? And number four, what are you doing right now to build a new friendship with somebody else? This, oh, I've got enough friends. I've got, I mean, come on. Like, let's get deep with people. Who are you building a relationship right now? Who are you pouring into getting to know right now? If you've done any amount of life, you know that things come and go, right? When your kid's hobbies change, you, you become friends with all the soccer moms, like when your kid plays soccer, right? And then your kid starts doing tennis, and it's not the same families, right? I mean, there's seasons where it's like, oh, we used to hang out with them all the time, but now he works an hour away, right? We always are looking at new relationships, and it's not that the old ones don't matter. It's not that they're still not important. It's just different seasons of our life. But who right now are you building a new friendship a new relationship with somebody that God has put in your path and you're like, you know what? I want to get to know them better. And I hope that you guys will actually pray through these questions, ask these questions, discuss them with your family. I want to do that today. Ask my kids, who knows how you're doing? Because listen, my kids need me, they need their youth minister, and they need some of y'all, right? They need a village of people investing in them. As leaders, the elders here, the deacons, the ministers, we try our best to plan and implement ways that we can develop relationships with people. That's what this meal is about afterwards today. We want spiritual growth. We want numerical growth through worship gatherings, through Bible studies, through life groups. We want to create fellowship. We want it to look like the New Testament. We don't do it perfectly. We're trying But by God's help and his grace, we want to be effective both during the pandemic. We tried our best to make things available, to do things, to reach people. And after that, we're going to continue to try. We want to encourage more discipleship uh, through groups. Uh, We want to provide Bible studies. If you aren't using Right Now Media, it's a database of over 10,000 Bible studies. You can watch on your phone or your TV. We give that away for free. Our church pays for it. You can access it. Just let somebody know that you want to log on and get on there. It's basically like Netflix, but thousands of devotionals. We'll give it to you. You're like, I don't know what to watch. I don't know what Bible studies to do. There's a ton of them. Type in marriage, type in parenting, type in Galatians, type in hope. There's studies that you can do with people who have planned them and done all the work for you. But God loves you, and he wants you to love him, and he wants you to love others, and so we want to help you to do that. I came across a quote as we wrap this up here uh, from a book that came out when I was three years old. I won't tell you what year that was, um, but the book was called 2020 Vision, and, and the subtitle was How to Create a Successful Church with Lay Pastors and Cell Groups. And 
I don't want you to listen to this and think like, oh yeah, that's what you guys need to do because you all are ministers too. So as you listen to this, listen to what he says. He says, the best ministry is one that's based on love relationships where you love God first. You build strong, loving relationships then within your own family. Then you build loving relationships with staff members. Then you build loving relationships with the people that attend your church. You love the prospects and visitors that attend your church, whether they, listen, whether they ever do what you want. The people that you want to come to church and the people that do, you love them whether they ever do what you want. The greatest evangelism, he says, is loving people. A successful pastor, a successful church is one that learns to love people anyway, no matter what they do. We leave we leave the hard work up to God and we water and we plant seeds and we love him and we love others. Disciples of Jesus must be characterized by love, period, end of story. All the people in the world will know that we follow Jesus if they know that we love. It all starts with John three sixteen, where God said, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And we know throughout the Bible that God doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants everyone to know him. And that's why Jesus commissions his people in Matthew 28. Therefore, as a result of this love, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Mark 16, 16, it says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And so we as a faith family, as a, as a people who belong to God, we want to help people begin saving relationships with God by helping them to profess their faith in Jesus, to be baptized into Christ. We also want to help people who are already saved, who already belong to God. We, already, we want to help them grow in their walk with the Lord. So over the next several weeks, we're going to look at more characteristics, but I want to start by saying, if we do not have love, we are a resounding symbol No one's going to remember anything else. Just maybe that would be fun, like when you see someone not being loving, just like for us, right? Just like an inside family joke. Like when you see me and I'm like, I don't know, laughing at something I shouldn't laugh at, just be like, and I'll be like, oh, sorry, Brooke. Um, But we have to be defined by our love. They will know, and it's not a cliche, it's the truth of scripture, that they'll know We are Christians by our love, if we love one another. And it's God who is love, who called us out of darkness into light, that we can show that light with a lost, dark world. And so let's be characterized by love.